today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Money, beloved, is a needful thing within our lives. I fully understand that. Some of us have more than others. I understand that, the balance of all things. But money is what pays the mortgage. Money is what pays the bills. Money is what buys food to put on your table. I understand that fully. And yet it is through the faithful giving of money also that the work of God can flourish and and touch the hearts and the lives of many people. However, there's a vast difference between money being used to reach people versus using people to reach for money. Money can quickly become a rather controversial topic when discussing doctrines of tithing, giving, or outreach for ministry. Whether we agree on a flat 10%, giving beyond, or not giving at all, There's been plenty of debate regarding money. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us that while our offerings are sure to bring blessings, discernment is key. In our study, we learn the importance of recognizing those who would use people for money, rather than money for reaching out to people. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message, The Call of the Overseer, part two. So this whole idea of violence should be absolutely absent from a believer's life. And in particular, the the life of the leadership. Paul uses a word here, a a Greek word, plektes, and it's translated as one who is a a striker, someone who's quick to use his fist to settle arguments. It's also the idea of a a quarrelsome, someone who is a, a bully and that kind of a mindset. Well, that kind of violence, it's actually was part of the characteristics of the false teachers that were there during those days. Look with me, keep your place here in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, flip over a page or two to chapter 6, and look what Paul speaks about these false teachers. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4, Paul says that these false teachers are puffed up with conceit and they understand nothing. They have an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. They produce envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions. Constant friction among people who are depraved in mind. That type of person, that type of personality trait, that doesn't bring the body of Christ together at all. What it does is it hurts the body of Christ. It doesn't bring healing to the brokenhearted. It actually accentuates that broken heart. So next we look at the next characteristic, and it says that the bishop must not be greedy for money. And in the King James, I love the King James version on this. It says, not greedy for filthy lucre. 
filthy lucre. I would never use that word in ordinary conversation, but I love it where it's here. I don't, I don't know why. It just really speaks about that word. And again, Paul uses this phrase or uses that, that, that word, the Greek word that's translated filthy lucre, only here in Timothy and in Titus. It has that the, really kind of the meaning of one that's drawn to or, or fond of dishonest gain. It's not just the fact that, yes, I want to have a good job to provide for my family. No, this is, uh, again, a, a, a desire for dishonest or get rich quick and that it's consumed the individual, greedy for gain. That's what the word says. That's what the word means. That's what Paul is trying to give us here. Now, hear me. Money, beloved, is a needful thing within our lives. I fully understand that. Some of us have more than others. I understand that, the balance of all things. But money is what pays the mortgage. Money is what pays the bills. Money is what buys food to put on your table. I understand that fully. And yet it is through the faithful giving of money also that the work of God can flourish and and touch the hearts and the lives of many people. However, there's a vast difference between money being used to reach people versus using people to reach for money. And I've seen two different kinds of ministries in that same way. Some that every all their resources, man, they are reaching out for the gospel cause. Others, they reach as many people as they can to get as much money as they can. And you can see it within the ministry. Pretty much the same words, but totally different mindset. Money being used to reach people versus using people to reach for money. Philip Towner, a guy that I'd quoted last week, he also says that in the church, our And in our private lives, our attitudes, our our motivations where money and acquiring things are concerned, they must be brought before God for evaluation. God's word and not the values of our society in which we live must be the thing that shapes and corrects our thinking and behavior in this area. Paul also deals with this particularly misdirected aspect, this desiring greediness of of gain, this desire for dishonest gain. He deals with it a little bit later. Once again, in in 1 Timothy 6, you can look there again with me if you would, and down in verse 9 where he tells them that uh, those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is evil. No, neither money is evil. What what does he say here? For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is not the evil thing. Money is just a, 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 a tool that God uses. It's our attachment to it. It's our direction to it that is evil. The love of money, a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and they pierce themselves through with many sorrows. If the ideas, gang, of of get-rich-quick schemes continue to direct your lives, then you know what? I don't believe that the souls of people are of much concern in your lives. Why? Because your focus is on the means of gain rather than the needs of people. When the love of money directs somebody's life, they're not going to be directed by the Holy Spirit of God. 
They're going to be continually drawn by this craving for material things. And how much stuff is enough stuff? Well, you can ask the, the richest in our world, and the response is almost always just a little bit more. I've got everything I could think of, but I'd love to have just a little bit more. One of the other characteristics that Paul gives us about a bishop or a leader, he says that a bishop must not be covetous. Now that speaks of an unhealthy attachment, both for money and possessions. They both kind of go together when suddenly things of a material basis, uh, whether it be money or, or possessions, they, they are so important and so desiring that, that, again, it controls, it consumes your life. Many of you are probably familiar with the, uh, the character from uh, Tolkien's uh, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, a little guy, Gollum. Some of you might remember him. Well, Golem had become the possessor of the ring, okay? And that ring extended life. It also helped him to be able to disappear if he puts it on. And as he gets that ring, we find within this whole tale of Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings and, and The Hobbit that uh, it becomes so precious to him that he'll do anything he possibly can to hold on to it. And again, just like he says, we wants it, we needs it, we must have our precious. We've got to have our precious, precious, if you've seen the movie. Otherwise, I've just made an absolute fool of myself. So in, in the words of Tolkien, literally through the centuries as that ring extended his life, Gollum came to both love and hate the ring just as he loved and hated himself because of it. That unhealthy, that unbalanced pursuit of riches will destroy our lives, particularly for a leader, but also in all of our lives. Well, actually, I skipped over two characteristics there when I went to covetous, but let's go back and look at them. Two that are actually opposites. He says that a bishop must be gentle and not quarrelsome. Gentle and not quarrelsome. All of these that, that are gathered together there in that, that, that couple of verses, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. All of those stem from this self-focused kind of a, a mindset. Some versions there, instead of saying gentle, they actually use patient. Uh, I believe your King James Version says patient. Again, it's more than patient. It's, a, it's an example of gentleness, dealing with issues of the, the, the church body as a whole, as well as dealing with individuals. Again, it speaks of that moderation in our emotions and actions. People will do the craziest things. How do we respond to them? As a leader, we need to respond in gentleness. A pastor has to be one who can give gentle instruction to others and at the same time take criticism without reacting in a negative fashion. You understand what I'm saying there? He's got to give and be able to give gentle instruction when he sees someone going wrong. But at the same time, he himself has to be able to take criticism without reacting in a negative fashion. Some have rightly said that to be a pastor, you have to have the hide of a rhinoceros and the heart of a dove. 
It's not very easy, but it is the right attitude to have. Leadership style should be that of leading and not driving the sheep. That's why he's called a shepherd the flock. If a bishop is quarrelsome, there'll never be peace. There'll never be comfort within the fellowship of the saints, either in his own life or within the life of the fellowship itself. The shepherd of a church must be a peacemaker without compromising his convictions. One man has said that short tempers do not make for long ministries. And how true that is. Verse 4 and 5, back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, but verse 4 and 5, they, they go together. He says, a bishop must be one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? And again, this can be easily misunderstood as a statement that what he is not saying here is that uh, the children of the bishop have to, or the pastor have to be perfect. But uh, again, there, there's also the, the question, no, he's not saying that he has to have children either. What it does do is uh, through the centuries, a lot of times it placed a lot of pressure on the children of uh, pastors. And again, uh, that, that whole idea, man, your, your kids have to be perfect. How come, you, isn't that the pastor's kid? What's he doing over there? Well, he's with everybody else, you know. There's, there's nothing different about that. It speaks about that overall care, that overall direction. Again, the character of that individual ought to be that if he is married, if he does have children, there is order and there is clarity within his house. Warren Wiersbe states that if a man's own children can't obey and respect him, then his church is not likely to respect and obey his leadership. For Christians, the church and the home are one. We should oversee both of them with love, truth, and discipline. The pastor cannot be one thing at home and something else in church. If he is, his children will detect it, and there will be problems. Well, let's move on. Paul gives us the next one there in verse 6 as he says that a bishop must not be a novice, a new believer, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into that same condemnation as the devil. And believe me, pride isn't something just for new believers, but it is primarily a fact that new believers that are pushed up into positions of leadership are more easily, more prone to fall into pride. A lot of times we look at someone who in their secular life, perhaps they were a great leader. Maybe they had great speaking abilities. Maybe they were a great people person. They come to Christ and we want to all suddenly put them in a leadership position because after all, they're, they're, they're great leaders in the world. They'll be awesome leaders there in the church. But beloved, if they are new in the faith, if there's not been a maturity grown in them, then again, we're setting them up for failure. Being the elder, being the pastor, being an overseer of a, of a church body, we need to understand that's, that's spiritual business. It's not secular business. Oh, we have some secular type of things that we need to deal with. Robert and I had to deal with some stuff at the city this last week because of trying to get these modulars into place. We deal with those kinds of things. Believe me, if we don't pay our uh, payroll taxes to the IRS, we will be in great big trouble. So there are things that we need to deal with. But in the overall run of things, 
the direction of the church is again spirit-led and not led by the things of the flesh. As a matter of fact, the strength of the individual leader's abilities, they have to come from the spirit of God and not from his own flesh. If you can explain the success of a ministry or a program because of the skills or the abilities of the leader, then the Holy Spirit is then pushed into the background and the pride of the man begins to blossom. And although maybe a younger believer is more susceptible to that issue, as I shared earlier, uh, again, every leader faces this. Years ago, I was bummed out because, again, the church was going through some struggles. It wasn't doing very well at the time. And uh, we, we it seemed like we were dropping in attendance. And I was sharing this with a pastor friend of mine about how bummed I was, man, because the church was, just wasn't doing, and I, I probably wasn't the guy for the job. And I, man, I, I, was, I was just, again, pointing to me as the, as the cause and the failure of that. And there was a lot of truth in that, but hear me out on this. He looked at me and he says, be careful there. You're walking in a lot of pride. I said, pride? Did you hear? I'm, 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 I'm saying what a horrible job I'm doing and the church isn't going very well and it's probably all my fault. And he says, but that same attitude in the negative, what happens when it's in the positive? When the church is doing well, does that mean it's all because of you? Okay, he kind of hit a home run right into my face, Okay. Because in, in reality, that's exactly what was going on. I started thinking it was all about me. Rather than even in the midst of my failings, it's amazing that anybody shows up. But it's by the power and by the call and by the direction and by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us that when a leader, when an elder, when a pastor becomes puffed up with pride, is then very ready to fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Some have looked at that and said, well, what does that mean? Does that mean he's going to lose his salvation? Does that mean that somebody with pride, they're going to be banished from heaven for all eternity, just like Satan was? No, I, I believe that when we look at the context of the whole passage, it ties together with actually what he says next, again, about not falling into the reproach and the snare of the devil, that the devil himself will bring condemnation to you and, and try and drag them down. As a matter of fact, this next section, this next requirement that Paul gives us, he says that a bishop must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Beloved, a man that serves the church has to be a man of integrity. He's got to be a man with, with a sober-mindedness. And as we looked at that last week, sober-mindedness doesn't mean that he doesn't have a sense of humor. It, what it does mean is he knows how to be serious when the serious things need to be taken care of. And he's able to deal with those things both in the church as well as in the world around him. He can't be one thing in the church while being something entirely different outside in the lost and the dying world that's around us. His business ethics, his financial accountability, how he deals with conflict, how he deals with strife, and the issues of the outside world all point to that man and who he really truly is. We actually now come back full circle to that idea of being blameless and above reproach in this whole idea. If the man that's going to be an elder or a pastor or an overseer, 
is a businessman, just to kind of help you understand and see this. Question would be is how does the community as a whole react and respond to him? Is he known as a good neighbor? How do his employees respond to him? Does his employees respect him as being fair in his decisions and his judgments? Is he known for giving a fair wage and honestly caring about those that are under him? Those are the kind of things that you need to look at when someone comes into those positions of leadership within the church. Beloved, if the mission of the church is to proclaim the gospel of salvation and forgiveness through faith in Christ to a lost and dying world that is out there and looking at the church. You need to ask the question, is this individual going to be a help or a hindrance to the mission of the church? In the overall grand scheme of things, as we've looked at all of these requirements that, that Paul gives us here in Timothy, and again, a very similar but not exact list in Titus, we kind of pull it together to something that probably you've heard before, but I think it's worth sharing again, that should the outside world put that individual on trial for being a Christian, would they really find enough evidence in the marketplace and in the neighborhood? and within his home to convict him as a Christian. Because if the world doesn't see it before he's placed in leadership, beloved, then it's probably not fully true within his life. But you know, that bears me to come to the next and the final portion of this. What about you? What about me? If the outside world put you on trial for being a Christian, would they find enough evidence in the marketplace, in your neighborhood, and within your home to convict you? As I shared before, these characteristics that Paul gives us for the bishop, for the overseer, for the elder, for the pastor, all of these need to be a part of our lives as believers. We need to be living our lives as a testimony of the reality of the love of Christ and of the sacrifice of Christ. That which brings new life to all those that would come to him by faith. Is there enough evidence in your life? Is your faith real and true within your life? Because if it is, it will impact the exterior of your life. Oh no, Pastor my faith is just very quiet, very quiet. I don't share it with anyone. And maybe it's not a real true faith. Because, beloved, we are called to be a people who declare the reality and the truth. Oh, you may not have the heart of an evangelist. You may not be a great speaker or persuader of people. But, beloved, the people around you, do they know that you know Christ? Do they know that there is a difference in your life compared to just that nice neighbor on the other side? Our call is to be proclaimers of the truth and the hope that's within us, to be able to give reason for that. My prayer for you is if you know Christ, that you would continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. Oh,
We're so glad you joined us today for The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. If you've enjoyed today's message and would like to listen again, just visit theopenword.com. There are several other teachings that we encourage you to download, share, and listen to anywhere you go. We know it can be hard to find time in this busy world to sit and study the Bible in depth, but we've tried to make it a little easier. Pastor David's insights into God's Word can be taken with you on the go, filling those pauses in your day with promises and truth. We're so glad we can provide these Bible studies for you through the ministry of the Open Word. We'd like to ask you, though, to be a part of what we're doing here. With more information, here's Pastor David. I love being able to share the Word of God with you through this radio ministry. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. I know God is blessing His children through The Open Word, and God has given us a vision to see the ministry expand and reach even further. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to theopenword.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Pastor David. There's much more to learn from the book of 1 Timothy, so tune in again to Pastor David's teaching on the open word.